uh, then of course to everyone else, we welcome you as well. If you're visiting, make yourself at home. And uh, we're just a kind of just an old-fashioned Bible-believing Baptist church, not here to be showy or anything along that line, just to give honor, praise, and glory. And I think we've done that this morning in song. And um, to our wonderful Lord and Savior, and as we celebrate His birth during these days, almost 48 years now I've been standing behind the pulpit. Most of those years, some of them, it's a couple of, a few during the uh, during the decades, I've stood on Christmas Eve or Christmas Sunday or Christmas weekend and uh, shared with you uh, the Christmas story. We've looked at it from many perspectives over the years. The Lord led me a little differently this particular uh, Christmas season as will not be in the Gospels but rather in the Epistle here in the book of Galatians. And I want to look at the Christmas story, not from a, there's not a new perspective that's given to the church that wasn't given to those early Christians there when our Savior was born. And so we don't have a different message today, but I want to take a little different approach if it allow me to do that, and I think that you will. And I want to, I want to look at the time, the way the world was when Jesus was born. And I think that you'll find it, hopefully you'll find it at least interesting as it is rather an uncanny type thing as far as the parallels of that day and this day. When you come to what the epistles, the church epistles have to say about the birth of Christ, it is generally in relationship to the return of Christ, the return of Christ. And so I'd like to look at that for a few moments this morning. We'll look at Galatians chapter number 4. And if you would, I'll look at uh, just a couple of verses. I'd planned on reading through verse number 7, but for the sake of time, we'll just begin in verse number 4 if we could do that. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Let's read verse number 6 as well. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so I want to I look at the little phrase that's given to us in verse number 5, and it actually leads into verse number 6, but in... in um, in uh, verse, number, uh, verse number four, rather, verse number four and verse number five, in verse number four, the Bible said, when the fullness of time was come. I wonder how it was then. I wonder what the world looked like when time was fulfilled that Jesus should come. As I began studying in my scripture, I began to realize that even though our heavenly Father is not subject to time, that He is eternal, He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternally God, He's always been God, He will forever be God. The only thing that time ever really figures into is the human race. And uh, so when God created the heaven and earth as described to us 
in the book of Genesis, and I believe that word for word, how that God created the heaven and the earth. And when he did, he put man in a time frame. Man in a time frame. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, when he birthed Adam, or brought Adam into this world in a miraculous birth, the birth of Christ wasn't the first one. And so when Adam was created by God, and then Eve, his wife, God set the clock, and the clock began to tick. Second, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, decades, scores, centuries, and millenniums. God set the clock. And so everything that God has put in, uh, in man's suitcase has to do with time. And so when the fullness of time was come, the Bible said in the book of Ephesians something along this line in chapter number 1 and verse number 10, in the, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. And so we have these two mentions it, with, with very familiar phrase, the fullness of time. One of them having to do when Christ was born on earth, the other one having to do when Christ comes again and receives his people unto himself. And so along with the other messages that we typically study and look at on Christmas weekend or Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, those very familiar messages that are given to us in the Gospels about his birth and about the wise men. Do you remember the story of the inn and how that they rejected our Savior there at the inn? We know about the story of the mangers. I preached on the three mangers this past Wednesday evening in our devotion about the gifts. We hear stories and have messages about the angels. And then there's the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and, and Simeon and Anna and all of the stories about the giving of gifts and the travel of the wise men and all of this, all about the Virgin Mary and all of these wonderful stories about what we're celebrating this weekend. But in the light of all that, in that great story, there are multiple messages to be learned about our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not, and had he not been born, as Jonathan was saying, he could not have been baptized. Had he not been baptized, he could not have his ministry. Had he not had his ministry, there would have been no miracles and no healing. Had he not gone to the cross and died for your sins and mine, and had he not been born, uh, uh, buried in a tomb, and then rose again the third day, and then ascended back up to the Heavenly Father, none of those things could have happened had he not been born. And so it all begins with the birth of Christ. But it doesn't end there. The gospel story doesn't end when Jesus is now a little boy. But it continues as a little boy and a young man and then uh, in the ministry at the age of about 30 years old and all the things that he did and it, it transcends even 
where we are today until one day when this wonderful Lord and Savior will come again. So a little bit change in the message. It's interesting to me. Let, 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 let me give you this, lest I forget about it. What does the word fullness mean in the Scripture? You know, and I'll not try to insult your intelligence. I know you know what it means. But it means to come to maturity. It means to be completed. The word fullness is a measured time. It's a determined time. It is a time in which things are finished. In just a moment, we'll look at some other events in the Scripture that were measured in time, and when their time came to pass, the event took place. How was it when in the days in which Jesus was born? And I'm not a historian, and I'm not really good at history, but I can read a little bit. But it was interesting to me when I began to study a little bit about the culture and the dynamics of the days in which our Savior was born and those years uh, prior to his birth and how it was when he was born. And those days that followed after him are very much contemporary of the days that you and I live in. And could it be that God is not just showing us a sign when we see the star. God's not just showing us a sign when we exchange the gifts that His Son was born. But we're also being alerted that one day He's coming again. And by the way, it's at the fullness of time. The clock is already ticking. The clock had been ticking for what, some 4,000 years or so from the moment that Adam, the first man, was, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. And at that moment, God hit the button on the clock and that clock has been ticking. And all through the ages of time, all through the different generations of time, all the way until the birth of Christ, and the clock didn't stop ticking. It kept on ticking, and it's still ticking even until this day. And it really, the, the clock doesn't stop until the return, the second coming of our Lord, and then time will be no more is what the Scripture said. Time will be no more. But how was it in those days? Think about a couple of things with me, and we'll try to get to the message momentarily. In the days that Christ came, the world was ruled by the anarchist, domineering, military reign of Herod and Caesar. Government was, I, I want to say that government was out of control. But the reality of it is, sadly, the government was in full control. And I'm not trying to be political this morning. I'm just trying to tell you how it was then. And you can try to figure out yourself if we fit in that pattern again. Not only do we know that there was, there was full control from high places. The second thing that I made in my notes this morning is that there was an effort to make the world one big neighborhood. One big neighborhood. 
There were many dialects in those days, but most everybody understood the Greek and the Hebrew and all of these other dialects and differences in language. We have those even there at the day of Pentecost. He mentions 11 of them at that particular time. But even though there were multiple languages in the world, the world for the most part understood the two primary languages. And so it is today. Palestine had become the geographical center of all the world. By the way, when we say Palestine, and you, if you've been watching the news, you hear that word a lot. You hear about Jews and Palestinians, and, and you hear about Palestine, and you hear about uh, Israel. But the reality of it is, that entire, entire block, and right now, if you were to take a, um, a classroom size a globe and start looking on there and when you find the nation of Israel uh, in, in comparison to the rest of the world, in comparison to all of the continents and everything, if you find the, the nation of Israel on that globe, you can take a pencil eraser and almost cover it up. But the land that God granted to them, way back in the book of Leviticus, God gave the boundaries and God set up the area in which what is called Palestine, it, it was all of, of the Hebrew nation and all of the land of the Jews, all of that land was given to God's people. There was a natural bridge that connected Asia and Europe and Africa, and great commerce and, and transportations of goods for the first time in the history of man. They were able to carry goods not just by donkey back or in a wagon, but they had ships and, and commerce was at an all-time high. But on the other side of things, there was a lot of anxiety. There were wars and depression. There was two-thirds of the men, about 60 million men, when Jesus was born into the world that were in slavery. There was high, unbelievable taxations we even have in, when we read the Christmas story, uh, it, it clearly identifies the reason that they were going where they were going. It was time to pay the taxes. Taxes had surged out of control. Like we are today, they were then. We're taxed on what we earn. We're taxed on what we have. We tax on what we spend. We're taxed on what we retire on. We're taxed on what we save. We're taxed on what we spend. And we're taxed on what we die with. We're taxed on how we go and when we go and what we do when we get there. It was like that in that day. Some of you are saying, you got that right, preach. <laughs> got that one right. You got that one right. But how was it when Jesus was born? What, was, what, was, what, was, what were things like? Well, let's move on. Not only do we see the anxiety and depression and all of those kind of things taking place, but we also, on the spiritual side of things, the world was filled with all of these mystical gods. All of these ruled the spirit of that day. The Bible makes mention of some, some called Zeus and Aphrodite and Dioses and Athena and many of those other Greek gods were the spiritual places of worship in that day. In short, when Jesus came into the world, it was a very 
dark day and a very dark time. But then he was born, hallelujah. <laughs> and when he was born in that dark hour and moment of time, his birth brought the greatest light into the world that the world would ever know. There are other events that are given to us in the scripture that are measured in time. For instance, we have it on your notes, the flood. The Bible said that God said in the book of Genesis chapter number six, the end of all flesh is come before me. And when he said those words, he reached over and he set the clock. And the Bible is so detailed uh, in, in giving us the very time in which God spoke those words to Noah to when the flood would come. He talks in terms of 120 years. He mentions the second month and the 17th day. And then he mentions rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And then you add 150 days before the water was abated for the earth and then 40 more days. And then he said in the book of Genesis, and yet another seven days. You can add it all up. But God said that there's the fullness of time. For instance, in the book of Exodus, we have the story of the nation of Israel and their bondage in Egypt for some 400 years. And God sent Moses. They were servants under Pharaoh for all of these years. But at a certain time, in the fullness of time, God, they had cried out to God and they begged God and, and they reminded God how that they were his people. And, and the, the Bible said these words in the book of Exodus, something like this. And he heard their cry from heaven. You know what happened? The fullness of time had been complete. We're talking about the birth of Christ, but think about this one, the day of Pentecost. Here's the words that he said about Pentecost. It wasn't just some accidental, some, uh, uh, just, uh, some kind of uh, event that just happened out of the blue and all of a sudden they went and prayed and Holy Ghost came and I'm not being sacrilegious about that, but it was at a certain time, the 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 uh, celebration of Pentecost was dated and at that time, and the Bible said these words, and when the day of Pentecost, listen to this, was fully come. The birth of Christ isn't the only thing in the Bible that was set to God's clock, God's timetable. And so it is in the coming of our Lord. We look at the signs of the times and the days and the hours that you and I live in, and any, you don't have to be a, a scholar, but any knowledgeable person as far as God's word is concerned, and the, uh, the uh, signs and the events of the days and hours that you and I are living in, there's no way we can define it in any terms except the coming of the Lord draweth. And just like there, there had been decades and years and even a millennium or so, they had been the prediction that Jesus would be born. Isaiah talked about it. Others of the prophets talked about it. Others alluded to it that one day a child will be born. And they describe him in, 
in definite terms in the Old Testament. And they had been looking and they were, the, the Jews, the nation of Israel, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the anointed one. They were calling for the anointed one to come. And there, according to history and according to God's word, from the last day that he spoke to them in the book of Malachi, there was 400 years of silence where nobody heard one word from God. And then all of a sudden, the angel appeared said, I got something to say unto you this day. 400 years without a revival. 400 years without a movement of God. 400 years with nothing. And then all of a sudden, he appears quite unannounced until the angel speaks. I wonder how it was in those days. I wonder how it was when our Savior was born. And then there's an, one other interesting thing about this in the, in, the, uh, in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark in chapter number one, if you look there with me, we're not going to read all 15 verses for the sake of time. But this is the world in which Jesus was born. And Jesus, I like this. God had one son and he called him to be a preacher. You ought to think about it. I mean, one, he, he's raised as a carpenter's boy and, uh, and the, the vocation, the profession that God put his only son in was to be a preacher and a teacher of the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Here's his first message. Look what he says in Mark. In, um, in the Mark chapter number one, and uh, we need to read uh, the first 15 verses, but, but uh, if we could, we'd just start in verse number 14. We know the story here. It's part of the Christmas story that we generally preach on. And he said, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Look what he's saying. Preaching, saying, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. There's just something about it. I'm not smart enough to, to take it and dissect it and, and do all the calculations and, and uh, tell you when and where and all of those kind of things, but I do know this. And there's a sense of it in the air. And when we look at the news and we see the things that are happening over in the land of, of Palestine and, and we see what's happening there and we've read a little bit Preached through the book of Revelations last year. Only time I've ever done it in my entire ministry. All 22 chapters of it. All the way through the book of Revelation. And I tell you, I learned some things. I learned some things. And one thing I did learn, Jesus is coming again. I don't think you would have any trouble this morning if I, and I won't do it, but if I were to say, everybody that believes that Jesus was born in a manger 2,000 years ago, as recorded in the scripture, and all of this is depicting, and everything. I used to love it. I used to love to go to the Christmas parade when I was a little boy, and uh, they'd have every building downtown would be decorated, and uh, they didn't just have a bunch of icicles and candles. They'd have all kind of 
biblical-based things, and they'd have, they'd have angels blowing trumpets, and, uh, and uh, they'd, they'd have Bible verses, and they'd say Merry Christmas on all the buildings, and, and I know all that's changed, and I know all that's changed. But all of that speaks that, that we believe this, that he came the first time. But I wonder if I were to ask for a raise of hands this morning. How many of you believe as much as you believe that he's, that we're celebrating his birthday tomorrow? That he's coming again soon. soon. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. But thank you for doing it. There's three things for the sake of time. We'll not go to the verses and look at all of them. But you can go look. I'll just, I'll just share with you from my heart three things. I actually have about a dozen how, how were things when Jesus came into the world? In Matthew chapter number 2 and verses 12 through 18, we know the story. We read down in Sunday school this morning, Brother, Brother Jenkins read down through verse 11 or 12. And that's generally where, you know, we get our Christmas thrust and message from. That's a great story. Herod's mentioned in the first part of the chapter, but he's also mentioned in the second part of the chapter. And he's really upset. And uh, he feels like he's been betrayed and he's been lied to. And so my thought is this. There was a world. The world that Jesus came into, number one, was a world of governmental intrusion. Intrusion. Here he is minding the business of God. Here he is minding the business of the church. Here he is minding the, the business of religion. Here he is trying to interfere with what God is doing. And he is, so, he is so taken with that and he's got so much authority with that and he decides in that he can't, they won't tell him where Jesus is and, and uh, Joseph and Mary, they take little baby Jesus and they flee into Egypt. It speaks in the Old Testament how that God wasn't through with the land of Egypt. And right there, just it's another verification of how God's word is true from cover to cover to cover to cover to cover. Read it. You'll like it. You'll really like it. And so he says in that they won't pinpoint where he is, I'll just kill all the babies. Hello? I'll just kill all the babies from two years and under. And that way, I'll be sure to get rid of this one called Jesus. That's the world Jesus came into, a world that government has intruded in every part of life. I don't say things like that. You know, that's not my bone to pick or anything along that line, but every once in a while, you just got to say something. You just got to say something. I know there's more to preach about and all those kind of things. Not, even, not this morning. <laughs> Maybe another time. Another. Number two, Jesus, the world in which Jesus was born, a world of governmental intrusion. Proof in the scripture. The second was a world of moral depravity. We've got to turn there for just a moment in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter number 1, if you'd turn there with me, Romans chapter number 1, I want to read a few verses here if I don't get to do anything else. 
This is the world that Jesus was born in. This is not, this is maybe, it, it was in the same time frame that Jesus was born. The gospel was being spread. Paul had made his way there to Rome with the gospel. And, uh, but they hadn't forgot about the birth of Christ. It was still a very relevant subject uh, in that day and in that time. But here's what the world like, looked like when Jesus came into it. Because that, verse number 21, I'll try to read it quickly. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing them th themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I'm going to read on now. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own flesh to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and uh, worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did not change or did change the natural use into that which was against nature. Let me let it sink in a minute. And likewise also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of error which was meat. Verse number 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication. What kind of world did Jesus come into? Fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness and envy and murder and debate and deceit, malignity and whispers, backbiters, uh, haters of God, despite proud, boasters, inventor of evil things. And look at this one, Daddy, threw in disobedient parents. In that crowd? Without understanding, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, cannot be satisfied, no matter what you do. Unmerciful, but look at verse number 32. We don't very often include this one. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but look at the last phrase. It's become an entertainment. It has been, it's become part of our movie industry. It's become part of commercials. It's become part, and we're, here, we're right here at the end of the year, so we just, we just lay it all on the line and blow everything out. What it says about the ones who take pleasure in it. The ones who are comfortable with it. But have pleasure in them that do those things. What kind of a world did Jesus come into? Can I say this in closing? The third thing, it was a world of spiritual blindness. If we had time to go there to... Um, uh, Acts chapter number 17, Paul there at Mars Hill refuting the, the, uh, uh, the worship of, of the idols and the statues and, and uh, 
all of the mysterious stuff that was going on and the black magic and the, and the Ouija boards and the horoscopes and all the things that were going on in that day and hour. And the Apostle Paul, he tells us in certain terms that the world was spiritually blind. In such a world as this, God sent the right person, his son. In such a world as this, God sent his son to the right place, into the world. In such a world as this, God sent his son for the right reason. That he might be the ultimate gift. For you, and 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 for me. And that he might save us from our sins. That little baby in the manger. The son of God. Incarnate flesh. Dying for the sins of all the world. As God. Do you know him this morning as we come to conclusion, uh, come to the close of our service, Tracy's coming to the piano. I know that's a little different Christmas story than, than what we normally share. But Lord, help us to see 